the field, people will come. And it doesn't happen. You have to look at how you're doing business. Welcome to White Sox Business, the only podcast about Chicago's Southside baseball team that's hosted by me, John Greenberg, along with the more important James Fegan. James just got home from Cleveland and boy, your arms tired. Actually, I didn't say that right. Anyway. Well, it wouldn't be because flying is a health risk. Right, exactly. Screwed that joke up, which is fine. It's kind of uh, representative of the White Sox season so far. Uh, Cleveland's not yet a quarantine hotspot in the eyes of Chicago, like a future road trip is. But the Sox's first road journey could have gone a little bit better. But at least it ended well, right, James? Yeah, anytime that you have to have a season-saving win or have your starting (laughs) pitcher talking about a must-win game on game six, uh, indicative of both a normal and productive year. (laughs) Exactly. I think Lucas Giolito's must-win start was actually, like, I I don't know if I expected disaster because he called it a must-win, but actually I I figured the Sox were going to win that game. I might have even put money down on it. But to be to be fair, he called it must win after they won it, not the day before when we talked to him. So that's oh, a really? pro move in he, my respect. I thought he called it must win before that. He didn't. No, he, I think he just said like he talked about like how they expect to bounce back and all that. But right. he did not call it a must win game until post game when the game was won. Exactly. That is a total pro move. Good for Lucas Giolito. He went fastball change up. Right. I mean, that was that was basically over and, over. Throws and he's and he's done that before. Yes, right? to this team. <laughs> everyone says, hey, everyone says Terry Francona is a good manager. Look at that. It's exhibit why he's not, right? Um, well, it's funny because he did that last year and I told Meisel about it and Meisel took it to the Cleveland's hitting coach and he said like Cleveland's hitting coach's response was like he saw a ghost after he heard that quote. And so for them to kind of pull it on them like 15 months later, I don't know. It's the height of comedy to me. Baseball is a funny sport. <laughs> how do you know Yasmani Grandal you know he's getting all this hype coming in on what a great guy is with pitchers and he's a you know this and that you wrote a nice uh story about it now some people have played with him have kind of uh poo-pooed uh Yasmani Grandal's uh you know reputation at times but Sox fans have, have not big fans of him so far how do you think he's been how did he handle Giolito and, and how do you think he's handled the pitching staff when he's caught Instead of James McCann. Well, I think the whole thing with Grandal is very much, I think he's a very smart catcher. And I think he knows what he's doing. I think he has a lot of natural feel. But it's a kind of, I know what I'm doing, do what I say, um, or listen to me, or take. I'll take you by the hand and guide you through this type of approach. And if a, a pitcher is maybe has their own idea of what they want to do or an organization has their own idea of what they want to do and maybe they're dictating it to the catcher and pitchers and they're not really trying to ride on some veterans feel, maybe that doesn't go as well. Maybe that's not the setup for someone to want. I mean, I, I he hasn't caught uh, Dallas Keuchel in the, so far, but you know maybe the rotation setting up that main can and Keuchel, the former Arkansas teammates, will work together. But it seems like it's an approach that's very – great for or at least will be accepted by a a pitching staff that's largely young dudes who's largely like rookies who are kind of impressionable or someone easygoing or who'll just kind of listen what they're told the way Giolito and and Cease uh, will do and I can't even remember who's the last pitcher on the staff anymore (laughs) Um, it it, it seems like a good match for the young young pitching staff at, at large 
and also an organization that's very much like, yeah, we will let our old um, grizzled catcher kind of lead the way and, and go off reading swings rather than what our algorithm spit out and said our pitch calling chart would be. I think he's done fine in that respect. Um, I, I I don't know how I don't think the framing numbers are necessarily stable at this point. I haven't really looked at them yet. Right. It seems like obviously so he's not he's not numbers. Obviously he's not hitting um, yet, but he's kind of not hitting in the way of someone who's pretty good and has a defined uh, idea of what they're doing at the plate. Like goes about not hitting. Like the the plate discipline numbers are still pretty stable. He's still taking walks while like not really doing much. Um, it's it's not like he's squaring up the ball and it's still landing like 90 feet short of the warning track because he's just like old and out of juice now. It, it, it just seems like someone who hasn't really gotten hot yet. Then it, it seems like someone who's washed up. Um, he, he just doesn't seem in sync timing wise. And I don't know if anyone's really going to see if it's really a mark against anyone to seem uh, out of sync timing wise uh, in this season with everything's going on, the short ramp up. I, I don't subscribe to the idea that it's panic time for the, the catcher uh, after four games. Uh, and who, who will ever forget his heroic go-ahead sacrifice fly and the saving, saving, saving win uh, the other night. So uh, basically he can, he can coast on that for another week. <laughs> Let's talk about so how the team hit in that, la- in that finale against Cleveland. Zach Plesak had their number. But then, aloha, Mr. Hand. How many, am I the first person to make that joke, James? I did not watch much. I know it's a South Park reference. I don't know much beyond that. No, it's it's actually not South Park. See, now, now I'm even more used. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh. You never seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High? I'm 33 years old. I mean, you're not tw- you're not 13. You're you know, you're not 9 like my son or Cam. I mean, right. I was like I'm not I wasn't like in high school when Fast Times at Ridgemont High came out. I watched it on TV. It came uh, out in 82. It. It's a really good movie. What? It came out in 82. I was I was four. It's older than my older sister. You're making me feel old. It's a good movie. Many of the people who were in it are now old. Uh, Yeah, I mean, really old. Uh, It's it's a really good high school movie, though. Uh, So I recommend you watch it when you have some time. You have some free time between breaking this down. Anyway, November. Let's talk about Tim Anderson and what he said about Brad Hand, which is pretty funny. He said that Brad Hand is garbage and Cleveland should release him. Um, (laughs) He said that Brad Hand, who, you know, is coming in after the starter has thrown eight innings and struck out a career, set a new career high for strikeouts by like, I think his previous high was seven and he struck out 11 and eight innings. Um, It's an empty park. So you can absolutely hear Tim Anderson cracking his bat open on the home plate after a strikeout early in the game. You can hear like Larry Garcia banging his helmet, you know, Seemingly a happy-go-lucky-go guy, low-key like one of the loudest dudes in throwing his helmet and crack breaking his bat in the dugout after strikeouts. Um, you're hearing that all that over the, over the course of the game. It seems like a really frustrated team. Brad Hand comes in after this and immediately could not get anyone out whatsoever. And part of the reason that Tim Anderson said is that um, he basically threw the exact same sequence to him that he did the night before uh, when they had just played a doubleheader. And... Tim Anderson winds up like ripping an inside fastball for a leadoff double to get everything started and scores the go-ahead and ultimately winning run um, by jumping on this inner half fastball that you know he states by saying, well, the whole thing I can do with my approach is that I immediately know he can't overpower me. So that like opens up 
so much more. So he tries to get it on his hands with a, a 91 mile an hour fastball. And you probably can't really get on. If there was something that Tim Anderson has been able to do since a moment um, he got in the majors, it's tuck his hand in and turn it in on a fastball. You probably can't get 97 uh, past uh, Tim Anderson in on the hands if he's looking for it, um, let alone 91. So like it was, it was just kind of as automatic as a double to, to the left center gap can be. That, that's kind of what it was. And, I want to say like Tim Anderson's just the best hitter ever, but he is a guy who, <laughs> you know, won the batting title last year. That's you don't do that just without some legit skills and some uh, like ability to observe patterns. And it seems like it, it they made it kind of easy for him. <laughs> well, let's talk about Luis Roberts' hit streak. Uh, he's hit a he's hit a lot. There we go. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that was in the notes, so I was just kidding around. But Luis Robert, I mean, is as advertised. I mean, that's like there's no other way to say it that he we knew he was really good. He is really good. I think one thing that, you know, for people, like I said, people like me that just see these highlights of him hitting majestic home runs in Birmingham or, or you know, Winston-Salem or wherever. It's nice to watch him go up to the plate and lace a single up the middle. Right. It's nice to, you know, the first time I think I when I wrote about seeing him hit in an exhibition game, single to left field, you know, hard hit single. But still, he he is a really, really good hitter, and he is, you know, just kind of what we thought he was going to be. He's, like, a very skilled hitter. I don't know if he's, like, even, like, he makes adjustments very quickly, so I wouldn't say he's, a like, a dumb hitter, but I don't know if he's, like, as smart of smart. a hitter as he will be uh, at some right. point. Like, basically all, and even the last two games, he's been getting kind of worked over by sliders. Uh, like, his strikeout rate is starting to explode. In a right. way that like every other we probably time. expected to have at some point early right. uh, in his career. But having said that, and the fact that like um, Plezak had struck him out a bunch of times on sliders earlier in that same game uh, on Wednesday, he was up like, I want to say he was up 2-0 on whoever he's facing. I think it was Simber at that point. And he kind of got fooled by another bad slider uh, off the plate for that hit. And clearly is kind of a little off balance, but just the strength of his bat-to-ball ability and his ability to kind of adjust mid-flight that he was able to take that one up the middle. Like, it was not, like, a great piece of hitting or him perfectly guessing what was coming or him being perfectly in rhythm. It was just very much like that's how kind of athletic and fluid his swing is and how strong he is that he can get anything behind it, even when he is kind of, like, hitting off his back leg a little bit because he's out in front. Um it was, it was, it was all, it was, it was as, you know, it, it, it's as raw of a demonstration of his hitting skill without his approach being there yet, uh, as I think you can see, which is weird to say about a roller up the middle, but, and it's not like it's more impressive than him hitting a 420 foot home run that was, you know, basically straight up like he did his last day in, in Chicago, but um, it, it was a very interesting way to see kind of isolated his, his just his bat to ball ability. You know, when I was in the in the press box, I was talking to Ozzie Gian Jr. about him. And he's he said, you know, he's someone he's been watching and Ozzie, you know, he knows people and obviously has some connections, you know, watching him play and, and talking to people about him playing. And he he told me he was really impressed with with Luis's mental abilities as much as, you know, his obvious physical prowess. So. I think because we don't get to really have, you know, in-depth conversations with him. You're talking to him through a translator, through an interpreter. You know, 
it would be interesting to hear kind of his thoughts on hitting, you know, straight from him. I don't know how much you get because I know you do have some some Spanish, but just like, you know, how much does he like talking about like hitting and things like that, the mental side of it? Well, I mean, it's not quite to the degree of Eloy Jimenez where um, maybe the strength of his mental approach is just how unbothered he is by everything. <laughs> like people kind of joke about like how simple Eloy is able to keep everything. And I think that probably gets misconstrued as like Eloy is simple, but really it's just like he doesn't let, he doesn't overthink things or doesn't like kind of stress out about things he can't really control. Right. Um, Luis is kind of like that where if he gets fooled in a way, um, it's not overwhelming to him or it's not something that kind of warps his approach or takes him a while to overcome or, you know, kind of takes him out of what he is doing entirely because he just obsesses over this way in which he failed. He kind of very, very quickly, uh, adapts it into information, I feel, uh, and kind of, not in a way that kind of overwhelms what his approach was before he got fooled by a slider. So I, I don't know when he's going to stop striking out probably not immediately, but it seems like he makes that kind of at bat to at bat progress in seeing how he's being attacked um, in, in a way that I think is encouraging beyond just obviously the, the batting practice shows and the, and the, you know, kind of ability to muscle balls through the infield when he's, he's off balance. There's no better time than a producer cam ad read time. Well, save for the content you're trying to listen to and James and John, who are knowledgeable, if not dabsters, experts about the sport, uh, but instead you're listening to me. But guess what? There's no better time to get a dugout mug than today. Dugout Mug was a company that was actually founded in a college baseball dugout. What they do is they take a barrel of a baseball bat and they transform it into a 12-ounce mug. It's not magic, but if you want to think about it as magic, just consider it Dugout Mug's magic. And guess what? The mug is licensed by Major League Baseball, so your favorite team can be laser engraved onto a birchwood baseball bat barrel mug. It's the perfect gift for the big game. You can put it on display. I hope you drink a beverage from it, but if you don't, make sure that you put it in the center of your house because it'll make you the life of the party. And make sure that you're the life of the party by visiting dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and use the promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and code MLB30. That's all one word, MLB30. Baseball is back. Get yourself your very own dugout mug today. I think Madden, Joe Madden might have said that he's never seen people care so much about lineup construction as in Chicago. I don't know if that's true or not, but it is something fans here really like to talk about. And the White Sox and, and Ricky, and I have an inkling it's not just Ricky making these lineups. You, am I wrong? Is this, I mean, there, there have to be suggestions to him, right? Um, I mean, the, the sense I got was that they try not to, I mean, it's a more of like a theoretical concept type of larger discussion rather than let's nitpick the day-to-day construction every single time. Um, okay. There definitely have been conversations about it and there definitely been times they question about it, but it's usually like post game and not like, you know, they tweet out the lineup and there's a phone call. Like what the hell is that move Del Monaco down or something like that. But I, I feel like they give him a good amount of autonomy because I think that's that, that you need to kind of give the manager that and also give have that it helps the manager standing in the, the clubhouse to, to know that he has kind of autonomy of the batting order. But 
I, I think there's definitely group discussions with the front office about it. Yeah, it's, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens with those discussions once. I mean, really, it would be this season, you know, uh, because this is the first time Ricky's managed a meaningful White Sox team. So uh, things that, that causes uh, criticism to change a little bit when when there's actual expectations. But the Nicky Delmonico situation is kind of I forget who said it. I think it might have been Ozzy, but, you know, it's kind of like they're almost putting Nicky in a bad situation. Because he's not having bad at bats per se, he just kind of doesn't look good in that cleanup spot, you know, or just you know wherever he's where he's hitting up high. Um, and then of course people are like, well, why is Luis Robert? He's so good. He's you know this dynamic hitter. Why is he hitting seventh? I I kind of see Ricky's point there of you know that philosophy of of putting him down low, but at the same time, like you said, I don't think Luis Robert would feel too overmatched or anxious hitting cleanup do you no and i wouldn't say that like tim anderson was a guy who gets so easily overwhelmed or at least like you know once he got past 2017 that he wouldn't get so overwhelmed that they needed to bat him seventh into like the second half of last season either but it's <laughs> right it's it's at this point it's like at least the third episode of the story about um how they batted eloy low last year or i don't think even mancada like uh batted super high when he first arrived and you know, that lineup had nothing uh, when he arrived in, in the middle of 2017. So it, it, it's it's a well-worn formula. And yeah, I think they are kind of putting Nicky in a, in a at least a difficult spot or a spot where he's going to be kind of the brunt of criticism. But it's sort of, you know, you would never hear Renneria say anything like it, but it's kind of showing that they care about Robert more than they care about Delmonico, that they care more about guarding the way in which he fails and how it affects them more than they care about Nicky Delmonico getting dragged on Twitter because he um, <laughs> didn't hit well out of the cleanup spot. Like he's kind of, this is how he can serve the team is basically doing whatever they ask of him and then being shuttled off out of, uh, out of the spot once they no longer have any use for him. That That's kind of how he's going to make his living for them. And to your point, yeah, I agree. He had like, it's funny because Ricky's going to say that he had good at bats and everyone's going to freak out. And both them freaking out is legitimate because, yeah, he had good at bats, but nothing came out of him because he doesn't have a lot of ability to punish mistakes or really get really high outcomes when he does have a, you know, make solid contact. Like, yeah, he surgically prepared his shoulder, but we still haven't really seen the power that you now made him interesting in 2017 um, when the ball was very juiced. Uh, interesting now. Um, and at the same time, like, I kind of, they kind of missed him a little bit on <laughs> Wednesday just because no one was drawing out at bats at all. If there's anything he's done so far this season, it's just foul off a ton of pitches. That They probably could have really used that while Zach Plezak was, you know, um, slicing through them like butter uh, all of uh, all Wednesday. But that's, that's not a sexy thing is that we're going to have this guy bat four times so he can, you know, foul a bunch of pitches back. Like that, That's not really a, a great moneymaker and. You know, right. probably and, the reason why he's not going to be in the lineup much longer. And, and how much is it really helping Luis when the fact that he's still getting, it's not like they're not attacking him with sliders when he's hitting seventh. Right. And that's yeah, basically, that's basically the, the, what you're looking to do. It doesn't seem like you, uh, it doesn't seem like it's a widely reported thing when Luis goes like quietly goes one for four with three strikeouts though. Right. I see what you're saying. It's just a different spotlight. 
Yeah, like Luis is not coming up very frequently, at least in a bunch of like, maybe I can count one or two like really key RBI situations he came up. It's usually at the end of like whatever or some, um, you know, nothing inning going on to the bottom of the order. It's like, oh, hey, Luis Roberts up. There's an interesting reason to watch rather than uh, the offense is coming or going or not going because uh, whether or not Luis Roberts can come up in some like game deciding situation. And the White Sox aren't, I mean, there's, they're all striking out right now. This isn't like, it's not a Luis Robert problem, right? Yeah, I mean, um, until until Encarnacion and Grandal really get going, it's probably not going to look right. Um, and to the defense, that not that Nomar Mazar is like Mike Trout re, in a rehab stint right now in Schaumburg, but they can't, it's almost a, you know, a Chicago Bulls excuse, but they haven't had their full lineup uh, in a game yet <laughs> that they, that they, um, that they envisioned. Right. I think they're on base is like 308, which actually is like middle of the pack for for baseball right now. It's like we can't really judge. It's like even in yeah, small like the sample average size, OBP is like 310 right now or something crazy. Right. It, right. It's like even in small sample sizes, like we can't help ourselves, you know, obviously judging a team and look it's fun to look at numbers, but like this season's so weird. You know, I guess in some sense, you can't do it. You can, you know, you have to put these caveat caveats out there. But in another sense, like this, is the whole fun of covering and watching baseball is coming to snap decisions every time you see something. So why why do we have to shelve that for this season? Well, it's almost like all you'll have because by the time statistics hit any point of stability, like it'll basically be the end of the year. So <laughs> exactly, there's not like some refined time where we can all start doing real analysis. Um, like by that point that you'll already have gone through the trade deadline and need to figure it out whether you're adding and subtracting or stuff like that. So the last podcast we did, you and I um, talked about the importance of Dylan Cease and Carlos Rodon and having big starts in that doubleheader. Um, catch everyone uh, yeah, up on what I, happened. I talked about that. how it was favorable matchups too. Yeah. So. Didn't work so well. Yeah. I mean, um, after all spring and summer about having the, best command uh, ever it seemed like cease was opening up uh too early and uh firing almost every other pitch uh foot above the zone which isn't really workable um and i i wouldn't say carlos Rodon was like particularly off but he was sitting more 92 93 which was not the encouraging 95 96 from uh summer and that's a lot more like the velocity he had the last couple of years when he was kind of in between injuries and I don't, I don't know. I don't want to say it was one start, (laughs) but it was not an encouraging start and not just because like, Oh, his command's not off. And is it going to take some kind of mechanical correction? And is that going to take effect within enough in enough time for that to really have impact in a 60 game season? That'd be my question for seats. My question for Rodon is, is the velocity going to tick back up? Because the initial impression was that without it, he needs to be some, come some sort of different type of pitcher that he's not yet. And the sight of him getting in these tight counts, like he, he got knocked out of the fourth inning because he walked three guys. He walked three guys because he got in multiple counts where he was like three, two and he ripped off his best slider and um, Cleveland Indians hitter just spit on it and walked. Carlos Rodon was drafted because he had an elite slider. If that's not in place, I don't know how everything works. So, obviously, you hope that's an aberration or that's a function of just like 
misfiring his fastball early or maybe he has his velocity back because I don't really know what the um like he, he had a not bad night for his changeup. Um I don't I don't know how things work if uh, if people are spitting on a slider. So that needs to like not happen again because that's 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 that even like last year when he was barely holding on to like his elbow ligaments and sitting like 89 91 he's getting people swing and miss at the slider. I, I, I don't know what Carlos Rodon is if people are spitting on the slider. So um, I don't know if there's a way to refine that or if he needs to throw the other version of it that he can kind of establish for a strike before he throws the wipe out a bit more. That's been a problem in the past. But I, I, I don't think you want to ever see that again because that's not an encouraging sign. Well, at least Jimmy Lambert's ready to come up in case they need him. Oh, wait. No, he's not. Yeah, the, that's the recurrence of a forearm strain for a guy who just had TJ um, when forearm strains are happening across the league uh, because everyone got no time to ramp up and now pitchers getting hurt. And basically we have to, by the next, I don't know, by the time this episode posts or by the time we next talks to Renneria, we'll know the result of his MRI and whether this is a thing that is a minor injury, which thus will um, take him out for half the season or a a major thing that alters his timeline, which would be um, very troublesome. There are times where you just can't wait on a doctor. And if you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get you the treatment that you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment isn't right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel any time. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com forward slash White Sox for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Again, that's GetRoman.com forward slash White Sox, all one word, for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Back to the show. James, I did not, uh, didn't go to Schaumburg. Sorry about that. Didn't make it I out noticed. There. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, I realized what time we had it was. to settle for me just usurping everybody by talking to Getz two days ahead of time. Exactly. That's the thing. Like, why Why do I need to go out and watch Garrett Crochet throw a bullpen uh, when you could just talk to Chris Getz? Talk a little bit about, and that's a bad way to introduce a task question, but you talked to Chris Getz about prospect development, and that's a big deal of – you know, and a big lingering question is what happens to development, player development, in a lost minor league season. You give it. What was the gist of what Getz told you? They can read the whole story on our site. I mean, yeah, the reason I talked to Getz separately is because I wanted to ask him extremely nerdy theory, theory questions, as opposed to just like, "What do you think of this guy? What do you think of this guy?" But I, basically, the question I've been wanting to like ask like all summer is like, "How do you um, develop prospects with no minor league baseball?" And um, it. Sounds like mostly the answer is we're not going to be able to. Uh, He seems primarily focused on trying to just keep guys in shape and make sure they don't take like physical, big physical step backwards. Like in the old days of the 1980s where everyone shows up the spring training 30 pounds overweight and has to train down like they're trying to avoid that situation, uh, you know, by the next time spring training opens up, which I guess theoretically could still be next uh, February, March. But I don't know. Let's get real. 
it, it, it's mostly focused on that. They they do have some data-oriented things they're doing. They send everybody, every pitcher has like a modus sleeve to, to kind of track their, their arm movements and their arm health. Explain uh, what, expl- hold on, ex- explain what that is. It's like this very, very, it's this device that's like measuring the level of, uh, you know, their arm speed, measuring the level of like extension they're getting while they're throwing. It, it, it's kind of trying to take the place of, all the um it's it's kind of like a biometric um type of motion tracking device for pitchers it's something that would wear to try to um diagnose their arm health or how much stress they're putting in their arm or how much uh you know issues uh it's supposed to try to have some predictive element to whether or not they're putting too much stress in their elbow stuff like that it's it's something to kind of monitor their activity while they're throwing sides, maybe into a mattress in their basement. Um, but it, it it's basically their way of keeping tabs on them uh, during the off season. And the other side for hitters is just a tracker on their bat, which can me- measure the, you know the angle at which they're coming through, their bat speed, um, all right, you know, all how, right, how quickly they're getting the head out, and all that, all, all that all kind right. of nerdy stuff. They have motion trackers that they sent everybody home with. Some yeah, people, just. <laughs> Some people had to be had to have it shipped to them. Some people already had it, you know. But it, it, that was their kind of universal approach that they slapped on everything. But not everyone, like somebody who's living in a you know a rural area in the Dominican Republic, they're not having Zoom coaching sessions. For them, they're just having like uh, weekly phone calls. We're checking on what they're doing, and they're 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 trying to do some things about like with certain guys who have the ability for video function to like try out different grips. Um, that's all what Garrett Crochet is doing right now. And Schomburg is just tinkering at different grips to try to and looking at what the spin rate says and seeing if it's go- going in a positive or a negative direction or not. They're trying to do a little of that with guys who are uh, able, but really they're just trying to keep guys on task with their fitness plan and, and uh, having their uh, minor league performance coordinator, Goldie Simmons, who I guess would be described as a, a minor league version of Alan Thomas, uh, just making sure everybody is not, is keeping in shape and uh, not doing something egregious to tear their ligaments while they're off season. Um, I would have another story next week about how they're managing their education program alongside that. But um, it, he mostly, the, I thought the takeaway quote was that he's viewing it as an extended off season, that they can't reasonably say that they're going to, everyone's just going to make the same progress that they would make from playing in games. They can't have Andrew Vaughn who played at Winston Salem next last, last year they can't have him just take a lot of BP and say like, well, now he can skip Double A Birmingham. Um, you know, maybe they will do that for Vaughn, given that he's allowed to been in every major league camp. But for most guys, they can't just say like, well, we're going to skip you a level because you've you've looked good on our our, our Rapsodo data. Um, it, 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 they're kind of losing a year of development, even if they're not trying to lose the year of development. Um, it does sound like maybe some few more guys will get approved to play indie ball the way Jake Berger is doing. But even what Jake Berger is doing. Jake Berger is hitting 500 in any ball league. Like it's not actual legit competition <laughs> for him. It's just it's like it's not even well, indie needs... ball. It's like a college league, right? Yeah, um, and it's a indie college league that was like literally Atlantic league, right? Is like literally assembled this year hastily as like it's like from the ashes of some other college league that was supposed to really exist. And Jake Berger like knows the organizers of it and can drive there from his house. Like it's it's not it's not like this a uh, lauded college league either. So. It's more about that dude just playing because he hasn't played in forever. And it would probably serve the same purpose for whatever other players get approved of, of guys who just literally need game reps. 
but it, right. it's not going to make Jake Berger like ready for the majors to beat up on some poor guy who was going to walk on a Missouri state. Right. They, they just don't have many options right now. I covered, well, I covered the Schaumburg flyers when I, when I was in first moved to Chicago as one of my freelance jobs, but my first full-time job out of college, I was the beat writer for the Yuma Bullfrogs of the Independent Western Baseball League. And the manager of that team is actually now the scouting director of the Kansas City Royals, Lonnie Goldberg. Wow. So he and I have both done well for, well for ourselves. And the Royals are the White Sox next opponent. Uh, you are not going to Kansas City. Sorry about that. I know you wanted that barbecue. Although that wouldn't really mesh well with your new fancy diet. So it's probably uh, it might if it, I just like eat a pile of meat. That's kind of like <laughs> vaguely keto, right? Just as long as there's no like sauce on it, right? Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of pretty close to goal weight at this point. I, I, nice. I, yeah, there is uh, there's some breaking as news. I want to. Some breaking news right there. All right. So anything you want to preview about the Royal series besides Patrick Mahomes being a new uh, minority owner? Um, the Royals are starting some guy who hasn't pitched above high A on Friday because the Royals are doing this whole, we don't care about service time thing. We're just kind of like actually playing our fun, talented prospects. And because we're going to lose a hundred games in this 60 game season anyway. So why not? Um, it's funny because it could happen right alongside the time where Nick Madrigal gets called up because they waited the standard week they need to, to, take a year of service time from him so fun little juxtaposition there all right so should be it's a good chance for the white Sox to kind of build a little head of steam we'll see if that happens um yeah head, build a head of steam uh you know by beating up on the royals in coffin city something they've always reliably done even absolutely clearly out talented the the royals team on the other side yeah there's never been a side chen situation or anything like that <laughs> just a, a house of delight in Kaufman City. <laughs> exactly. Kaufman, here's another fun fact about Kaufman, about the Royals and me. James, you want to hear it? Uh, is Chanel Monet the biggest Royals fan? No. My <laughs> uncle, my uncle Gary, was married at Kaufman Stadium. His wife is from Kansas City, and her dad had this huge painting company, and they actually painted at Kaufman Stadium. So he had his wedding there randomly in like a club. At Kauffman Stadium. And we got a bunch of giveaways. During a game? No, it was, um, try to think what season it was. Season, it definitely wasn't, I I, definitely wasn't during a game. I'll say that. And there wasn't a game when we were there, but I don't remember actually. He's getting married and Luke Hokovar is just getting lit up in the background. (laughs) This is like, this is like in 19, I, I mean, I bet you this is 1989. So I don't know who was on the Royals back then. I do know like her dad gave us a bunch of like giveaway stuff. Like I had like a Royals white hat that was a giveaway, I guess, that his company sponsored. Stuff like that. Uh, I really wish I'd enjoyed my tie. I would have got more old school Royals stuff. Probably pretty cool right now. Yeah. All right. Well, it's enough. If, if stuff that's older than the our Royals beat writer. <laughs> that's like from like 1999. Uh, all right. Please leave us a like, comment, rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're not already a member of The Athletic, I don't know why you're listening to this, but you can save 40% off your first year by list- by visiting theathletic.com forward slash Southside. All one word, Southside. Our business is done here, James. <laughs> <laughs>